Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, as we begin this series, you know, in week one, we talked about habit number one, and if you missed it, I want to recap it real quickly, because we actually, on your way out, gave you a little magnet that looked like this. Remember that? Where we said, habit number one, if you really want to know God, is you will begin to pray daily for three people who don't know Jesus. And so I hope that you've taken that magnet. If you haven't, there's actually some out on the guest information in the main lobby, and you can pick up one of those. Put this in the fridge, on the fridge, not in the fridge, that would be odd. Put it on the fridge, on a mirror, a place where you will see it each and every day so that you can pray for five seconds or five minutes for three people who don't know Jesus. And then, last week, we gave you a bookmark. I feel like I'm peddling stuff. We gave you a bookmark, and on your way out, what we said was another habit of people who want to know God is they are regularly exposing themselves to God's Word. And so we said, what if you were to begin to read one chapter a day if you aren't in it? And what we said was, we'll shoot for seven, hit five. There's seven days in a week, shoot for seven, hit five. Read one chapter a day. And so we all began in the book of Luke last week. If you didn't get one of these, again, guest information in the main lobby, pick one on the way out. Now today we begin in habit number three. I'm going to lay this over here. And we'll talk about that habit in just a second. But first, let's play a little opposite game. I'll give you a word and then you say out loud, it's opposite, okay? So the first word is, what is the first word? Big. Okay, you said small, actually I was looking for little, but that's good. All right, same idea, right? The next word is full. Oh, you guys are smart. I knew you would be smart. Yes. All right, here's the third one. The next one is dark. Thank you. I can't even remember what the... Good and... You guys are so good. All right. Now, Jesus, when he taught his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon of the Mount, really was launching his ministry. He did the same thing. He was using contrast or he was using opposites to make a point. And in doing that, he said that there are two kingdoms. One is of the earth and the other one is... Yeah, you can say it out loud. Say it with the earth or... Yeah, we gave, we give the, you guys are, okay. And then he said there are two realms. One is of darkness, the other is of, you guys are sharp. And then he said there are two masters. There is one that is God and the other is, what is it? Some of you have read ahead, you know what the deal is. We were trying to trick you there a little bit because you would think it would be Satan, right? And Jesus, all of a sudden, it's like he pulled the mental rug out from underneath us and he said, no, 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 actually, the opposite of God in the analogy that he's using is money. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would have been there listening to that sermon, I would have thought, well, did Jesus get it wrong? Did Jesus just like forget? Did he mess up? Did he take a right turn? Did he forget what he was doing with opposites? But then I remember, wait a minute, this is God the Son. He kind of knows what he's doing. He probably knows something that's not immediately obvious to me. And this is what he's teaching here. I'm going to sit this back here. What he's teaching here is the opposite of God is money, meaning that money is like a rival God, that money seeks to dominate us, and that money is not morally neutral. He's saying that we should pay attention to money and that in the end, he says in Matthew 6, 24, we cannot serve God and money. Because one can be the opposite of the other. 
he goes on throughout the rest of his ministry to reveal something that's really significant. And that is that God sees that the greatest competition for your heart is money. God's greatest competition for your heart is money. Now we here live in the 21st century, 2000 years later, we're surely much more wise now and we've evolved to a much better place. But instead what we all know is the average American spends more than they make. The average American has credit card debt, has multiple credit cards, doesn't have a budget, doesn't have any little in savings and is living paycheck to paycheck. The average American would say that they, one of their top stressors is money. In fact, 72% in a recent poll said that over the last month they stressed about money. And then we go on to realize that one of the leading causes of divorce is finances. It's money. It turns out what we really say in the vows is, till debt do us part. (laughs) Maybe we haven't evolved as much as we think we have. And maybe Jesus was on to something when it comes to money. Because most of us, if we're honest, we think... That money will give us satisfaction, it will give us security, it will give us stuff, and Jesus is saying no, it will give you stress. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus is going to reveal something to us today about money that could change the way we think about it once and for all. Now, if you're a guest here today and you're already feeling like, oh, here we go, a church talking about money. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you're here today and just know that this is the one Sunday we've designated this year to talk exactly about that. And here's why. Because Jesus talked so much about it. Did you know for every time he talked about sex or lust, he talked 10 times about money and greed. He thought this was that important. Did you know that there are 500 verses in the Bible about prayer and faith? But there are over 2,000 verses about money and greed. You can't hardly turn the pages of the scriptures without it talking about money and greed. And so in order to ignore it, we would have to ignore a whole bunch of scripture. And so today, if you will allow us to, we're just going to push past the awkwardness a little bit and say, what is it that Jesus wanted us to know about money? And maybe there's something that would cause it to be helpful. And let's figure that out together. But I got to tell you, I know what the assumptions are. I mean, it's kind of like the The two men who were marooned on the tiny island, one of them was really anxious and one of them was really frustrated and really worried. Meanwhile, the other guy, he's just laying back. He's just sunbathing, whistling. Life is good. The frustrated guy walks over and he says, why is it that you aren't worried? Aren't you worried that we're never going to be found? And the guy's like, no, not at all. So the frustrated guy, he says, why is it that you cannot be so worried and frantic like I am? He goes, listen, listen. I make $100,000 a month and I tithe. Trust me, my pastor's going to find me. (laughs) You laughed a little too much at that one. This is the assumption, right? And a pastor feels really hesitant. I can tell you that I do because there's the fear that we're going to look at focusing on the bottom line more than spiritual growth. And what's dangerous is there is a Christian assumption. I think there's a pastor assumption that says, if I grow spiritually, I will learn how to give on my own. If people grow spiritually, they will learn how to give on their own. So we don't have to deal with it. Jesus didn't make that assumption. 
Jesus, in fact, did just the opposite. He said, if you teach them how to give, then they will grow spiritually. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because you cannot serve God and money. He was very matter of fact about this. And at the end of the day, here's what we learned from what Jesus taught. That the way we view money is a deeply personal spiritual indicator of our own spiritual maturity. And so with that said, I want us to real quickly buzz through three quick stories. We're going to look at three women today, and we start with two widows and how they dealt with their resources and what it is the Bible teaches us about how we should view our money. And we're going to get to habit number three toward the end. So hang in there. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to see the first widow's story, the first of three women we're going to look at today. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17, there in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible, totally great. Just go to the pew in front or behind you. There's a Bible. Pick it up. Look at the table of contents. Find 1 Kings and we will be there together. 1 Kings chapter 17 and let's look together at verse 8. Now, this is a great story because in this story, we have, a, we have a drought happening in Israel. In fact, this is the city of Zarephath, which is up by the Mediterranean coast, just northwest of Galilee. Three and a half years, there's been a drought. Now, we've had all this rain here in Texas, and so a drought seems to have finally been broken. And yet for them, that meant there was no food. That meant there was going to be starvation. And everyone's at the very, very end of what little they have left because of this extended drought. So there's this widow who has a son, and this prophet whose name is Elijah is about to show up and they are going to have one of the most fascinating conversations and that's what we're going to read together look at verse 8 it says then the word of the Lord came to him Elijah and the word said the word of the Lord said go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there okay I know where to go what am I to do God says I have directed a a widow there to supply you with food. Now remember, who said that? God said that to Elijah. I want you to go to that widow and she will supply you with food. And so Elijah decides to trust God. Watch this. It says, and so he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? In other words, this is something that would be very typical, that you would see a stranger passing by and you would help him out. She goes, he goes to this widow and says, would you give me something to drink? And she's thinking, okay, I will help you out. So she turns on her heel and she begins to walk away to go and get the water. And as she's walking away, he asks the most difficult request that he could have possibly asked, almost matter of fact. Watch what he asks next. As she was walking to go and get the water, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, that must have stopped her in her tracks. A piece of bread? Why don't you just kick me while I'm down? We're, the starvation process has already begun in our house. We're done for. And you're asking me for bread? There's nothing you could ask for that would be more costly to me. Watch her response to this request. This widow says in response to Elijah, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread 
In fact, I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug and I am gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son. It's not just about me, Elijah. So that we may, watch these next four words, eat it and die. She's trying to give Elijah context that he had no way of having. Elijah, you may not know this, sir, stranger, traveler. We're one meal away. And me and my son are about to die. Now imagine if you're Elijah in this moment. You know God told you to go to this widow and to ask her for food. So you go to this widow and ask her for food and all of a sudden she reveals to you that they're about to die. Now, I don't know about you, but I think in this moment, I would have been tempted to go, oh, I am so sorry. I had no idea. I'll look elsewhere. I'll go to the next house. I'll go to the next town, but I sure don't want to put you out. I would never want to hurt you and your son. But Elijah comes to a place where he is at a crossroads, where he has to decide, do I trust God and what he said more than what I see, more than my circumstances around me. I know God told me to go to her. And now that she's revealed the circumstances, do I question what God said now? Because let's be honest, that's where most of us live, isn't it? I trust God until the circumstances get upside down. And it's like, okay, now wait a minute, let's be realistic. God wouldn't want this. And I can't help but think if I were Elijah, that's where I would have been. I would have been wrestling at this point. But watch what he says to this widow lady. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. And I would underline this in my Bible, the rest of this verse. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used. It will not be used up and the jar of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. In this moment, he has made a decision. Do you see what he just did? He has made a decision in this moment to trust what God said more than what he sees. He said, all I know is this is what the Lord said and I'm sticking with it. He said, if you feed me, I don't know how he's gonna do it, but somehow that flour won't run out. Somehow that olive oil won't run out. And there's gonna be enough food for me, for you, and your son. I, 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 don't ask me to explain it. This is just what he said, and I'm trusting God in this moment. And now she's at a crossroad because he's not letting her off the hook. And now she has to decide, do I trust what God said or do I trust what I see? And watch her response as she's wrestling as she's at a crossroads. So she went away and she did as Elijah had told her and watch what happens. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. And I would underline the rest of this verse in keeping with what the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. In other words, the word of God was trustworthy yet again. Despite what they saw, 
God. Now, I don't know how he did it. He didn't back up a truck. He, he didn't suddenly have a whole bunch of people uh, bring groceries. He didn't surprise them with a miracle flood and, the, and miraculously the crops grew within 24 hours and all of a sudden they had food. It wasn't anything dramatic like that. All it was, every day it just didn't run out. There was just enough for another day. There was daily dependence as they watched God provide again. And many of you who are here know exactly what that's like because you keep trusting God in areas of your life and you may or may not have had a dramatic moment, but somehow, some way, he just keeps providing in ways that didn't make sense because you're trusting what God said more than what you see. And here's the question for you because I know some of you walked in today and you've got challenges with relationships in your life, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a spouse you wish you had, maybe with parents, maybe with your children. Maybe you have to struggle with your job or you're nearing retirement or you're there. Maybe it's in your finances, but you have something you're battling and you don't see a way forward. And here's the question. Can you trust God when you can't see a way forward? This is what Elijah had to wrestle with. This is what the widow had to wrestle with. Can I trust him here? I had enough faith for yesterday and and the problems of, of 10 years ago, but now I have a new situation. I'm in a new place. Can I trust him here with these circumstances? Can I trust what he said more than what I see? She did, and God came through again. First widow, I want you to see the second widow now, the second of three ladies we're going to look at real quick. Turn over to Mark chapter 12 in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, then the book of Mark, and I want you to see another widow lady who actually was in a temple, and Jesus himself walks in, and when Jesus walks in, he does the most peculiar thing. He and his disciples go into a temple, and of all, imagine if Jesus walked in here, of all the places he could sit, Jesus chooses a really odd place to sit in the temple that day. And I want you to see it, and it creates a conversation about a widow lady. Look at verse 40, let's see. uh, Chapter, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. All right, it says, Jesus sat down. Here, watch where he sits. Jesus sits down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Why? And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now here's what's interesting. When Jesus walked the earth, he not only talked about money a whole bunch, even though he had no place to lay his head, even though he knew he was going to end up on the cross. When he went into the temple, he sat opposite of the place that people would give. And he watched what they gave. Jesus had no hesitation here. It's almost awkward, isn't it, to read this story and to realize how bold he was in this area. It is because he was so convinced that it is the opposite of our spiritual maturity with God when we are unwilling to be generous. He knew this was the hurdle that would stop so many of us from having the intimacy with God that we really want. And so he's sitting opposite of the place where people would give. And then notice it doesn't condemn wealthy people for giving large amounts. But then all of a sudden something happens in the next verse. Watch what it says. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Next to nothing. And all of a sudden we are about to see what Jesus is going to say in the next verse, this principle. That Jesus didn't give value. He didn't value the gift based on the amount given. 
He valued it based on the amount left over. That Jesus looked and he said, it's great that you gave a lot, but you have a lot. But what she gave is a little, but she had little. The amount left over is how Jesus measured the generosity. Well, that's a different way of measuring a gift, isn't it? In fact, look at the rest of the verse because now he begins to have a conversation with his disciples. He says, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Her gift is greater. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. And what he's saying is the wealthy people, oh, they gave, but they gave out of their expendable income. She gave out of her essential income. And in the eyes of Jesus, her gift was greater because it involved a sacrifice. And this is where we begin to learn the heart of Jesus when it comes to money. The sacrificial giving, it establishes and expresses intimacy with God. It is the act of worship he's watching for from all of us. And that giving in the end, just like the widow with Elijah, giving in the end, it reveals how much we really trust God. Now, I told you there were three women, so the third woman is here today, and her name is Ginger. She's my wife. So would you welcome her up, Ginger? Would you come on up to the stage here today? Now, now Ginger and I, uh, as we said a couple weeks ago, have been married 25 years, and as we've been married, one of the things that Ginger handles our finances, and we've been giving uh, from the get-go, and so would you just share why you begin to give all those years ago? Why did you just not keep it all and spend it all on us? So as a kid growing up in church, I grew up with the tithe envelopes, offering envelopes. And as a kid, I would often, probably as some, some of you as kids, would take these and write all these fictitious amounts on the lines and just to have something drawn during the service. And so kind of, you know, honestly watching my parents as I got older to realizing, oh, they're putting things in there and they're putting that in the offering. And we got old enough to put it in the offering. And then as a teenager, I sat in our youth department and watched uh, my youth directors, David and Shirley Word, she would literally write out her check, her tithe check, every every morning at Sunday school and put it in an envelope and put it in the offering. And so when I got through with high school and got my first job, I was so excited when I got my first check because then I could officially use an envelope. I could write a check out and sign it and actually put it in the offering. And just as my parents and as my youth leaders modeled, you know, what I, I just saw Uh, I just decided, man, this is what God says we need to do. And I was able to participate when I had my own money to give. So all these years later, you continue to continue to give. What gets you excited about that? Why is it that you like to continue giving? Well, I think one is just obedience. You know, God said to do this and you don't question it. It's just something that you have to make a habit. You know, um, it's not always easy when you're struggling for money, um, but it's like the first thing that always is on my top line. What is gonna be the tithe for our new paycheck, for our new pay period, whatever. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a personal decision to be a part of something that's bigger than me, that no matter where this money is gonna be used, whether it's locally or globally, I have a small part in advancing the kingdom. I love that. And it has, there've been times it's been tight and we thought, what in the world are we doing? Uh, you know, trying to figure out 
do we have the money to tithe? Do we have the money to give? Mm -hmm. Remember we were planning a church and we were trying to figure out if we had the money. Yeah, during those years, we, uh, um, our CPA called us during our, during our church planning years and she goes, y'all win the award for the most W-2s I've ever filed on your tax returns. I think we had like 15 or 16 in one year. Yeah. Um, you know, we just made it work. Um, we did whatever we had to do to provide, you know, what we needed for our family. And, but we always tithe first thing. So speaking of family, Ginger and I grew up and we we're fortunate in that we had parents that taught us at a young age to give. I know not everyone had that. So we're trying to teach our kids to give. And I got permission to share the story last night from our oldest daughter, Reagan. So Reagan uh, was working, um, got a job after we moved here a few months ago. And uh, she was excited about giving her tithe her first, out of her first paycheck. And so we had noticed that she had gotten her direct deposit. And her, the first line after her deposit was to LifePoint Church. And I looked at it. And it was like half of her paycheck. And I'm like, does she register for something? Does she buy something? So I told Reagan, I said, you realize you gave half of your paycheck to the church. Is that your tithe? And she's like, yeah, that's my tithe, mom. I said, you don't give half of your paycheck to the church. I mean, God's probably not going to, you know, say anything about that. But I said, <laughs> we need to re- recalculate your math. And so, uh, so we fixed the, fixed the issue. And now she's tithing the 10% like she wants to. And so it's kind of cool for them to have a, a heart of, of generosity uh, and just obedience. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that in our years of marriage that we've seen is that God is personal to us when we give because we see him provide for us personally, but also in our marriage, we see him provide for our family and he personally cares for us and it builds our trust in him, not just from ministry, but from us personally making that decision. Thank you for coming up here today. All right. Thank you, Ginger. Well, I wanted to... I wanted to follow up and say, I know a lot of you who are here today and you're like, you know what? I never had that. I, I never had parents that taught me to give or that encouraged me to give or modeled giving. And so I'm an adult and I'm having to figure this out on my own. And I, I just want to say to you, way to go. I, I just think God must smile on you in taking steps of faith that I never had to take. And he looks at you and he's cheering you on. And I just want to say to you, if you feel like that's way out of my comfort zone, I don't know if I even feel comfortable to do that. We want to help you in that way because we really believe this is one of the most significant ways in which we grow spiritually. And so what we want to do is to let you know that later on, hopefully this fall, we have some great volunteers who lead this and and we're talking about offering again as we come out of COVID and start having gatherings again, Financial Peace University. So the FPU, just know this, when we're able to offer that again, would you just make it a commitment that when that is offered, I'm going to be there because that is a game changer when it comes to how we see our money and how we prepare ourselves financially for the future. And to really view it the way God sees all that he has given us. Because there's a big difference between seeing myself as an owner, that it's all from me and for me, and seeing myself as a steward that says, it is all from God, and it's not all for me. And FPU helps position us to do this. Another thing we want to give all of you on your way out, those of you who would like it, is this book, a free copy of this book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasury Principle. And if you just want to know what we believe, it's all captured in here. We believe this is such helpful information straight from scripture. It's about a 30 to 40 minute read and it's a chance for you to pick that up today. So on your way out today, we have about a hundred copies at the guest information. Just pick one up. It's complimentary. It's for you. And I hope it is a help to you. 
Lastly, if you'll look in the pew in front or behind you, you will see a card like this. And would you just go ahead and grab that, pick that up? It's either in front of you or behind you. And if you're quick, if there's enough, then you should be good. But if there's not, you can be the first one to grab it and you can look at your neighbor and say, I'm sorry, but I got it first. All right. So pick that up if you would. I want you to look at it. On the, on the first side, I want you to see where it says making a difference. Do you see that? Look at that making a difference. If you're ever wondering where your money goes when you're able to give to LifePoint Church, there are a lot of things that it goes to helping other people. One is, you may not know this, but there are about 300 families that call LifePoint Church their home, that come in and out these doors on a regular basis. So imagine the number of people who are being blessed, who are being encouraged with their faith and being supported in their family over the year because of your giving. Also, just kind of list that 100 kids come on a weekly basis, kids and students, 150 attended our Life Point uh, family night last, uh, a couple weeks ago. We have another one coming up at the end of July, a lot of fun there. 37 kids went to camp. International missions, things that are happening as we talk about Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have uh, 200 water filters in Mexico that your money helps support. 12 churches in the Philippines, 54 children in Haiti, a new kitchen for the, uh, uh, the Haiti orphans, and uh, 24,000 that was given from the Christmas offering. But not only is it to the ends of the earth, but it's also here in our Samaria, Judea and Samaria. Right around here in Collin County, we have uh, over 100 different distribution bags of food during COVID. 36,000 was given out of our Christmas offering. And there are several organizations we partner with right here in Collin County. We didn't have near the space to list them all, including last, was it last Sunday, Bruce? Thank you, Bruce. I think there were 16 students, high school and middle school, that went to Soul Church down uh, in Dallas uh, to serve uh, homeless ministries and to help put on uh, the services there. And we're a regular partner with them as well. There are a lot of ways your money is making a difference. But if you're saying, but how do I get to that place? I don't give anything. And I would eventually love to the place where I'd do that 10%, that whole tithe thing that the Bible talks so much about. Now, if you look on the backside, and we'll talk about that, because I don't think it's realistic to say, this is what you should do, go. Now, I love faith, and if, and if you're there and you're ready to take it, I say go for it. But for most of us, this is going to be a more realistic approach. Look on the backside where it says next level giving. You can put down my current level is here, and my ultimate desired level is here. So there's some categories. If you're giving nothing, step of faith for you would be just to begin to give something. If you're giving something, but you're not giving a percentage yet, maybe you give a couple hundred dollars a a month and you're saying, hey, I want to give a percentage giving so that as God blesses you more, I'm going to stick to a percentage giving as we move forward. And then if you're giving a percentage and you would like to move toward the tithe, toward the 10%, just know that may be a two or three year journey for you, but begin to make decisions now on how you can get there as you look toward financial decisions and the lifestyle that you live so that it's not all for you. It's all from him and some is for others. And then finally, there's a final category that you'll notice. It says tithing and then there's a blank. Because what we also know is when the Bible talks about tithing and an offering, that there is this spirit-led generosity that we all want to participate in where we say, okay, I'm going to give 10% to the church, but I also want to participate in Compassion International. I I also want to help a a neighbor who may be in need. I also want to help a missionary just out of my own pocket. I, I want to help people 
people who are in my school or at my work who sometimes have these financial needs. And this is that spirit-led generosity that God will just impromptu lead you to. Sometimes it's just spontaneous. It's one time. Maybe it's ongoing. But this is where you have that cheerful giving that the Bible talks so much about as you get the opportunity to be partnering with other people because you've decided to reduce the margin in your own life so that there's more margin for others as you go forward from here on out. I just want to encourage you to talk with your spouse about this, to talk with your kids about this, to pray and talk with God about this because this can unleash spiritual growth in our life. It is one of the most personal spiritual indicators that we have how we handle our own money. Now, let me just say that there was a, a, an odd baptism practice about a thousand years ago by a bunch of crusading Christians. Very controversial. What they would do is as they were being baptized, these warriors, they would go in with their sword. And as they were being baptized, they would hold their sword in the air and all of them was baptized except their sword. And it was their way of saying, God, I am fully yours except for what I do on the battlefield. That's still mine. And in the same way in the 21st century, most of us are not carrying swords into the baptistry. However, we do the same thing with our money. And a lot of us get baptized and we say, God, I am fully yours. And we hold up our wallets and we say, you can have all of us, but this. And what God says, what Jesus said is, you cannot serve God and this. And God says that the greatest competition for our heart, his greatest competition for our heart is this. It's our money. And to really be surrendering and say, God, I want to get to the place where I trust what you say more than what I see. And you call us to generously give back. And I know enough of you to know that you want to go all in for God. And so we've got to talk about this at some point. And today I want to encourage you to habit number three. Habit number three is this. To financially give back some of what God has given you. To financially give back some of what God has given you. Let me close with these two questions. Number one, do you see yourself as an owner or do you see yourself as a steward of your finances? Is it all from you, for you, or do you see it all as from God, but not all for you? And then number two, if something is holding you back, would you just ask God to show you what it is that is holding you back? And just do business with him. He's faithful to lead us in this way. Church, I love that we get to do this. And I want to say on behalf of all of you who generously give and have for many, many years, making all of this possible, thank you. Thank you for your generosity and your sacrifice. This church would not exist if it weren't for you. All the baptisms and salvations that have happened already this year would not have happened if it weren't for your generosity and obedience in God. But there's so much left. And I just want to say, God's not done. There's so much ahead of us, an opportunity ahead of us. And this is where we say in advance, God, I will trust you for all that's ahead, no matter what I'm facing today. Now I want us to close with our verse once again. So if you would 
Would you stand with me? And let's say our verse again, John 10, 10. I want to remind you on your way out today to pick up this book there at Guest Information and participate in that. John 10, 10, say this out loud with me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you take on these kinds of conversations that can feel difficult and you just blow them wide open with so much truth that we just sit and go, wow, I wanna trust you in that way. And everything in us is gonna hear from that thief who will come and give us doubt, who will come and be skeptical. God, may we just continue to take steps forward to trust you unlike never before so that we can enjoy life to the full. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.